Will, have you ever been pistol whipped? Not in my memory. No, I have. <laughs> and that's why we're doing Guatemala. <laughs> So, picture the scene. It's 1988, February, I believe. Uh, our parents decided to vacation in Guatemala, as one does, from salubrious suburban California. And uh, I, there was a reason not. Can you point out that they were in the middle of a civil war at the time? Probably. Perpetually yeah. in a civil war in that poor country. And our aunt and uncle were living there. Uh, our, our uncle was in the foreign office, worked for the foreign office, or whatever they call themselves, um, and was stationed in, in Guatemala. And uh, our niece, uh, our niece, cousin, yes. who is uh, just a little bit younger than you, uh, mm-hmm. um, and we had, I don't think we'd met her properly, at least as kids, so they're like, oh, we'll go down there for the uh, spring break, or mid, whatever it was. So we go down there, and I remember... <laughs> I'll never forget this. So in 1988, I was like, what, seven, eight years old? I feel like I might have been younger than that. Maybe it was even earlier. I was in the second grade, however old you are in the second grade. Anyway, we had to, we were on Pan Am, and we flew via L.A. And everybody got off the airplane because people were just going to L.A. And we were sat in the back of the airplane. It was I think it was a 747 SP. And they said... They came back to us and said, please look after the kids. Don't let them get up and walk around because we're bringing some deportees onto the airplane. And they paraded these guys back to the very, very back of the airplane, all in handcuffs and each and with with officers with them. Uh, And they were all being deported from the U.S. back to Guatemala. And that's about as as good as that vacation got. Uh, (laughs) I have no memory of this because, like you said, you were, it was yeah, you were, yeah, I was two years old, a, a babe old. in arms, um, almost. So anyway, we, it was a very interesting. We talk about a culture shock. Our parents loved doing this to us, and there were some beautiful experiences. I remember going to some of the volcanic lakes, which is which we'll get into because it's so important to their food and their culture. Actually, these beautiful like. You know, lake, and in the distance, a volcano that was that was uh, smoking gently. These beaches covered in pumice stone, beautiful resorts. And then we went to Lake Atitlan, where either uh, where our aunt and uncle had access to a to a lake house, and we all piled out there. I think there was like maybe fourteen or fifteen people, three or four families. Our parents were there. Our aunt was there. Our uncle was working, so he wasn't able to come. Um, and we were all sitting there. I think there was probably six adults and six kids. We were all sitting on this sort of patio area and just moments, maybe after going swimming and exploring all of a sudden, I think four or five at least guys came in with automatic weapons and robbed us of everything. And they grabbed me because I was closest to them, pulled my hair and that was basically the bait. I was the leverage saying you should probably give us everything or something bad might happen. Got a, got a little pistol p- pistol action to the head. Not not hard, just to kind of make a point um, from what I am told. And they took everything, including like 
like deck chair cushion covers and mm. beach towels. They took all but one car. And this was like, you know, a good couple of hours outside of Guatemala City where our, our aunt and uncle lived. And they uh, they didn't hurt anybody in the end. But apparently, either just before or just after, that group of banditas had killed somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were notorious. And I was reading, doing my research for this, uh, some of the like, you know, the tourist guides to Guatemala. And one of the things they say is avoid walking around that area like the plague because it's just it's still in 2021 rife with. And that so that is my we all piled back all I think 12 people into a single Volvo estate back to Guatemala City. And of course, they never caught the guys or anything like that. But that is like. You know, my the everlasting my memory. enduring memory of Guatemala. And, you know, when G came up, it was a very obvious choice for this episode. So obviously I don't I wasn't cognizant of a lot of this going on, but the lasting knock on effects were very evident in my childhood. Uh, Dad didn't wear a wedding ring for the next probably 12, 15 yeah, years. Yeah, because he he had worn it. So oh, they. 88, 89, yeah, yeah, he was, he'd been married for over 10 years and maybe, you know, put on a couple of pounds and, but that thing was coming off, you know, no matter what, and yeah. he took it off and you're right, yeah. he didn't wear it for, it was, I remember mom replacing it on an anniversary, it was like, right when we moved from Fairway Vista to downtown Hong Kong. Yeah, so that was, so was oh like, yeah, that was long 1995. Yeah. But uh, and then obviously the knock-on effect, you know, for you was, you know, probably the root cause of yeah, all of severe your PTSD. It turns out in the end, um, I had, yeah, as, as a kid, and you know, understandably so. Um, but yeah, you know what? I I've never I've never looked at Guatemala and thought, f that place, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we lived in I lived in South Africa, which has these problems, and have become very aware of how to not be a victim in these situations or just like not put yourself out there, which my wife is always shocked about could living coming from suburban uh, New England, which is I've always threat assessed ever since then. So but I've, I've always wanted to go back. And I've been fascinated by that region on you know, the reasons we'll get into, in, you know, in the meat of the episode. But it's somewhere that I every time my team plays soccer in uh, in the CONCACAF Champions League, we always come up against a Guatemalan team and I would love to go down there and watch a game. Yeah, me too. I have the same feeling. I've always been sort of very interested in or fascinated, as you say, with with that country. And when the rest of the region, region, I know absolutely nothing about, nothing about. I've never been anywhere near it. I mean, obviously, the closest I've been is uh, is Mexico, and of course, it shares a border with Mexico. But mm-hmm. I, I've never been that that far south in Mexico. I've never been to. El Salvador or, or Honduras or Nicaragua or even Costa Rica or Belize. I want to. I really do. But Guatemala, I'm like, if I have that opportunity um, to go back to mm-hmm. any of those places. And we traveled around and I remember them vividly, I think, because, you know, you're sort of your memory is primed. And I do remember the food. We went to Antigua. We went to uh Quetzaltenango, we went to Chichicostenango, we went all over, all over this, this, and it's a stunning country. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and that's I mean, we hadn't we hadn't touched upon you know Central America in either the attaché stuff or mastication nation, and even in the food, the closest we got to it was tacos in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So it felt appropriate. But before we jump in, we should probably take care of some housekeeping. Yeah, I was just gonna say that I think uh, it 
it's definitely uh, it's been what has it been two weeks, three weeks. I can't even remember. I can't keep up now. I think it's two. We're doing weeks. okay. We're doing okay, and, and yeah. you guys have been very generous with your feedback as always. <laughs> Finland, Finland. We kind of went in a little blind. I'd been there a few times, and you know we talked about it. But I think we got we got some plaudits for our pronunciation. Uh, yeah. So um, at least for our um, effort. Yes, Asta Kaplan um, at Asta Lena. Uh, thanks for the Finland episode. As a Finn, it was fun listening to you while working today. Brave, if not accurate, mm, uh, pronunciation efforts. Yeah, exactly. It is like as I mentioned in my or, uh, my reply. It is extraterrestrial as far as language. Uh, she goes on to say, my husband is American, so I know the hardships of the language. Uh, it's like from a different planet, like I mentioned. Uh, looking forward to the G episode. And I asked her uh, what her favorite dish was, and she said, there are a few, but as a vegetarian, I love the Finnish, Finnish spinach soup. That's hard to say. Uh, spinach pancakes, which are savory, or mushroom sauce with mashed yes. potatoes. Uh, a word I'm not even going to attempt to, to, that's to say, the, which is that's the, Karelian the, the Karelian pie. pie. Yeah, yeah, is the first thing I eat when I go back. And to that's exactly my what Paul said too. And you, you, you said to Paul that you tried the, the lonquero, which, if you remember, was the gin and grapefruit cocktail, for want of a better word. How mm -hmm. was that? Yeah. So, so we kind of had it lying, the stuff lying around. I, I still yes, wanted too. some feedback on where the, whether it was um, meant to be uh, a dry gin or a botanical gin, but we had a uh, Tanqueray and some Whole Foods pink uh, grapefruit Italian soda. Now, Italian soda is slightly different than, you know, a regular pop. But, uh, yeah, it was really, really good. I, I, I tried it, and I thought, you know, one thing that might set this off is either a squeeze of lemon or some mint. Mm. But besides that, it, was, it tasted like, my wife said, it tasted like summer. Oh, yeah, I can imagine it being well, very, very tropical and refreshing. Ironically made for the Winter Olympics. Yeah, and in Helsinki, too, which is, yeah, as Paul said, welcome to the family, and you timed it well. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. And you can find um, the the Finnish long drink, which is now a brand name in oh. the U.S., everywhere. Oh, that's interesting. Um, at, at like BevMo, at Total Wines, which is the Colorado version of BevMo, you can find that pretty much anywhere. Those two places, if you're anywhere in the U.S., you can get pretty much anything. Total exactly. Wines uh, is a great place to get Japanese whiskey as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. In fact, that when I came to see you last summer, I stopped off, and that's exactly where I got it. Total hmm. Wines. Uh, and then Dan Markan said another Ace episode uh, on Finland. My favorite salamiaki. Am I getting that right this time? Salamiaki, yeah. Yeah. Uh, experience is seeing the reaction of someone when trying it for the first time. Right. This is the salted licorice, right? Regular licorice. I personally like it, but then again, I'm a massive troll. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's 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 um, not my not my bag baby as they say uh but you seem to you seem to enjoy it i do like it i think it's one of those things like marmite although marmite is supposed to be like you either love it or you hate it i'm one of those people who's like eh, it's fine it, you know i'm not i'm not gonna kill a guy to get some exactly and then uh do you want to do the ross mason one because i just clicked out of it yeah and then ross manson who's who's a little bit of a legend at ross manson i'm fairly sure was the one that introduced me to tablet say it oh did, i thought you said tablet tablet that's it yes. that's i was yeah. i don't i can't want to say tobacco why the hell would i <laughs> to tablet the wonderful scottish 
delicacy that we talked about in the last episode. And he said, uh, uh, is there anything better than one and a half kilos of fresh langoustine to go along with F? No, there's not. Because he's up in, uh, he's a, a, you know, runs a restaurant up in the Shetlands. Uh, and so oh, he's always. Hey, Ross, yeah. I want to come see you. Oh, yeah. No, he's already offered the invite to me, but you're a, li- you're a little closer. So we're tangential this episode. Uh, somebody joined my kid's school at the beginning of this term, and the, um, their parents are from Iona. Oh, yeah. Which, is, I, you know, I've, I was like, oh, I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. Jumped down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. I have to go there. <laughs> it's the most fascinating places. It has, like, without exaggeration, like 180 people on it. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, yep, Ross, we're coming to see you. So, guys, thank you very much for your very generous. Hold on, I got, I, I've got oh, one. There's more. I've got one more. I got one more. Uh, Mr. Craig McCormick and myself got into a bit of a uh, Twitter oh, spat. Oh, yes. Uh, Craig of uh, Glen Effort Beers, he was responding to a, uh, a tweet, which was one beer style you could live without. And he wrote back, smoked beer, puke face. And I wrote back, sours. Smoked beers? Oh, absolutely. They smoke <sighs> beers. Um, I wrote back, sours, as we talked about in our Belgian episode. And he was like, he used the uh, the office space uh, gif. Yeah, I'm gonna sort of have to go and disagree with you there. Yeah, I'm with him on uh, that. I love sours. Yeah, I don't at all. And I said, why are you booing me? I'm right. Um, so we got into a bit of an argument, uh, and I said that you know beyond sour beers, I also hate um, barrel aged beers. So beers that have been thrown into you know like bourbon whiskey, barrels, yeah, whiskey yeah, barrels. Yeah. It's just, like for someone who loves whiskey and bourbon specifically, I just find it overwhelming. And he said, now I dislike you. So I've fallen out with uh, the premier brewer of the of Merseyside. So. And they're still they're smashing it. They're winning awards hand over fist. Um, and you just reminded me, uh, speaking of, of, of whiskey and bourbon, Chris, Chris Ratcliffe sent me something uh, just a few days ago that Pit Q, who are a very respectable barbecue joint here in the UK, are doing provisions. And you can do these kits, which are like... Um, they do a pulled pork one and uh, an old-fashioned kit, which they've kind of curated themselves. And they, they've got their own uh, pale ale. But their cookbook, which is kind of legendary, it's been out for like, uh, oh, gosh, it's got to be like seven or eight years. He said, the book alone is worth it for their uh, hog mac and cheese. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it does sound amazing. And PitQ has spawned so many great... Uh, other restaurants in london like temper oh right which, which you, you which you have been to so guys thank you it makes it so much so worthwhile doing this when when you guys uh get in touch and share everything that you've been eating and what you've been drinking and and anything else that you've discovered so so at mastication ntn on twitter is uh is the best place to find us before we get into the best thing you ate what uh what it's saturday it is saturday so what do you Drinking. I am drinking a nice uh, 2020 California uh, Sauvignon Blanc, something a little light, a little yep. fresh. You know, good, the weather's starting to get really nice. Good brunch. Good exactly. Brunch yeah, that's exactly. Um, you know, my brunch was a handful of uh, kettle chips. So. <laughs> Why not? My kids are obsessed with this oyster and vinegar crisps that you can get at the moment. Oyster is in like oyster sauce, or is it actually oyster flavor? Oyster flavor. It's basically salt and vinegar, but for posh oh, kids. Okay. Okay. Oh, settle a debate for us, uh, both people on the internet and, and Alex. What color bag should salt and vinegar be? Blue. Okay. 
No, and wait, green, color. green, you, green. You see, this is the thing. This is the thing. If you go anywhere outside of England, they're blue. Or that, they're blue because the and Pringles get, tube is blue. Exactly, and it, and so is the um, kettle chip brand. Walkers is green. Exactly, but so, it, was it always? Yes, Gary Lineker was like on a rant about this, like salt and vinegar was one color and then anything with onion and it was was the opposite yeah it's interesting so what are you drinking i am going on vacation over the summer and i'm trying super hard to not have dad bod which i think (laughs) at 41 is just like a sisyphan task exactly Uh, so i've been trying to limit the booze a little bit although i have just glanced across at an empty bottle of nika day's whiskey which is delightful so I, I'm very sure I've mentioned these guys in the past. Big Drop Brewing Company here in the UK. They are uh, a non-alcoholic brewery. And I've, I've, I've been able to find their stuff either online, which is it's actually quite expensive, or buy the can in Waitrose. Because I shop at Waitrose because it's near my house. <laughs> Not for any other reason. Put the pitchforks down. And I went in there the other day. And they had a sampler pack of eight beers, basically a variety pack, one of everything they make. And I was like, jackpot, all out, all non-alcoholic. And this one is the Pine Trail Pale Ale. Alcohol-free. It is 61 calories. They've got – I've had – their Mexican one is outstanding. Not like the one we had over the summer, Will, which was rank. Um, but yep. this, that these was, guys um, – house brewing. Big H-A-U-S. drop, uh, yeah. Uh, I am a, I'm a big fan of these guys, and this is. It, have you tried their stuff before? Oh, yes, I have. They've they've got yeah. this like a galaxy milk stout or something like that. It's like dark as the night itself. It's delicious. This is, um, yeah, like citrus, but not in a horrendous way. And actually, like pine needles. Brewdog is uh, marketing to me like crazy. They have they have uh, a a eight different non-alcoholic AF brewing sampler pack. I've had that. It's very good. It's very good. All their stuff is great. I'm not, they, they have two or three sort of, you know, you brews that you want to be like, all right, settle down guys. Settle down. too much. Yeah. It's like tangerine and, Toblerone or some I don't know. <laughs> it's actually it's a Terry's chocolate orange. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think uh, patent pending, patent pending. Yeah. So it's been two weeks. You must have eaten something good. So um, I apologize if this goes along. We got a lot to catch up on, but um, so I got two things around my my favorite my favorite things in the last two weeks. So they kind of interrelated. Um, I had to drive into the city a couple days ago and I, um, needed to stop at a gas station and, you know, it was an empty gas station for someone in front of me and the person in front of me, uh, typical Colorado person, you know, very nice, you know, whatever was talking to the person behind the till and the, the person was like, Oh, where are you from? She was like, uh, the guy was like, Oh, Nepal. So when I get up there, I'm like, Oh, Nepal, my grandfather and now my cousin are both Gurkers or were like, grandfather was a Gurker and our cousin, congratulations, George is a Gurker. Uh, and he was like blown away by that. He'd never met anyone in America who even knew what the Gurkhas were. And he picked up on my accent and asked if I was from England. And I said, yeah. And he goes, I uh, lived in Slough for five years and so worked sorry. at and worked at, at Nando's. And he goes, he's like, man, 
man, the moment Nando's gets to, to America proper, all these chicken shops are out of business. He's just like, I was like, you know, you can get the sauce like at Walmart and stuff. He's like, it's not the same, not the same. Something tastes different. I don't know what it is. I'll figure it out. I'm like, he starts talking to me. I'm like, dude, I really got to go. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, like no one else knows what this is. They're like, I found somebody. And I'm like, That's I got to go. I, gotta I love go. stuff like that. But uh, connected to this was we were going into the city to close on our first ever house. Congratulations, Will and Kate and Logan. Thank you. Thank you. But as a sort of, um, you know, I needed to eat something and oh, okay. we were down yeah, to downtown uh, Larimer Street, which is a very hip, fun area of downtown or the Rhino District of, of Denver. Very hipster, a lot of graffiti art everywhere, lots of breweries. But I was walking around and needed something to eat before heading back to work was uh, there was a Shake Shack at the end of the road. I was like, fuck, I'm going to go to a Shake Shack. Haven't had one in forever. And this feels like an appropriate like thing to do after giving my life savings away. Um, and so I sat down in an empty Shake Shack, even though it was open. You know, there was maybe like two other people in this cavernous room. And I sat there and I ate my Shake Shack double burger. And I was like, this is good. This, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Yeah. Yeah, you sent it to me and Andrew, and it just, it looks good. I like, you know what, I'm not, I think I'm. It's not the Burger Wars. It's not Coke no, versus Pepsi. I'm mellowing in my substantial old age, and I don't, I'm not going to be tribal about, like, the three great burger brands of Five Guys Shake Shack in and out. They're all good. They're all good. And they now have In N Out in Denver, so I can sit there and have both. There aren't that many places that have In N Out and Shake Shack in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That, and oh. Five Guys, actually. I have a Five Guys across the street. Uh, yeah. So I love, I think Five Guys is great. So no, I want Five So guys. what about you? It's been a few weeks. What, what's the best thing you've had? Well, I, I was up in London again uh, a couple of, was it last weekend? Uh, last weekend. And I tend to gravitate back towards the same place to stay in Bermondsey. So right by London Bridge Station. And the last time I was there, like it was, it was before everything had opened back up again here in London. And I was walking up and down Bermondsey street going, there's a lot of potential here. There's some already some like great little boulangerie and, and just, you could see like tapas restaurants and stuff like that, that were closed, but now they were open. And I walked up and down the street going, this, this is paradise. There's so much great, Mm. not faffy but well done food, little French bistros, Italian restaurants, Spanish tapas. I was like walking up and down the street going, what the hell am I going to eat for lunch? And I spotted a little hole in the wall Vietnamese place. And I was like, what the hell is that smell? That's just intoxicating. And they had banh mi. Mm. And I was like, easy choice. And you know it's really funny that you. I, I'll tell you this, why that reaction of yours is very is really funny because I had my, I, I got it and it was great. It was like a it was a char siu banh mi. Oh wow! So it was like barbecued Canton Hong Kong style pork and all of the accoutrement that you would get like the the, the fresh greens and the sliced carrots and then the chilies and all that super great. And uh, I had it and then later in the day I I called Megan and I was like hey I you know. I always lead with food as one does. And I was like, oh, I just had bon me. And she's like, oh. And then the FaceTime cut out. And I was like, is that good? Is that a good noise? And then for some reason, we never caught up about it. Everybody makes the same noise when you mention bon me. I don't know anybody that doesn't like bon me. Two things. One, 
It's the national national. It's the state sandwich of Washington State, which is fun because they have a huge uh, Southeast uh, Asian population. Two, my first startup job in California was working for an awful automated, you know, um, uh, transportation company that was a precursor to Uber, um, and I won't say their name because they're litigious. Um, but I made some of my best friends there, and. Keith sat behind me, who we've mentioned on this show a lot of times, and I always used to get this on me from a, a donut shop because a lot of times donuts are, uh, shops are run by uh, people from Southeast Asia, and it was great. And he hated it because he always just smelled the pickled vegetables. He was like, oh, disgusting. That's, that's the best Stop part. bringing this into this into the office. And then about six years, seven years later, he like messages me out of the blue and says like, you know. Sorry for all the shit I gave you. I love Bon Mies now because he went to Southeast Asia and like had it there. And so I think he just needed that. Like from a smell, I get it. But once you, the French bread, the meat, the pickled daikon, the carrots, the cilantro, the, the hot, you know, chili, it just, it's just great. Yeah, it's so good. I love them. And, you know, again, another weird, uncomfortable product of, of colonialism that seems to really bring people, you know, that gets their hackles up when we talk about anything that's a product of colonialism. But I think it's mm. way too simple and way too lazy to be angry about stuff like that. But that's a pro probably a topic for another day. Yeah. And it's funny, before we jump into the, the meat of the episode, um, I do want to point out that, you know, Mastication Nation is chugging. Attaché, you've done two episodes in a month. And, uh, I'm sorry, um, sorry. Layovers, you've done two episodes in the, in the last month. And Attaché is coming back. It's like... 2019 all over again yeah i sure i sure hope so it's been fun to to film with with greg and nick which uh the you'll see hopefully well you'll see by the end of this month but yeah no it's good times good times lots yeah. to talk about we'll get some people on the show that yeah I, I well speaking of colonialism and imperialism guatemala was not immune to the tentacles of spanish quote-unquote exploration so i you know that's uh that's something that's gonna yeah. come up through the through this but they i mean Guatemala. So, if Guatemala is one of those countries that you've heard of, but you maybe not know that much about. As I mentioned, it's sandwiched between Mexico, uh, El Salvador, and Honduras to the south, and Belize to the east. And it's it's sort of rainforesty and tropical. It's got what they refer to as highlands. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting and very very ancient people. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Like, you know, if you think about the, I assume Americans get taught this, British kids definitely got taught this, which is the, you know, um, indigenous um, uh, empires of Central and South America. We get taught about all that. Um, when you think of the Aztecs, you think of Mexico, Mexico City. That was the yeah. center of the universe. Oh, okay. When you think of the, you know, when you think of Inca, you think of uh, Northern South America, you know, uh, the Andes, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, then the Mayans, which I find the most interesting because they were just like eons ahead of everybody as far as science and math and writing and all that kind of stuff. Um, you ask somebody where the middle of the Mayan empire was, I'll probably say Mexico, but it wasn't. It was it was slap bang in the middle of Guatemala. Yeah. Guatemala is the Mayan empire. Yes, it, it was huge, but that was where, uh, you know, their version of their capital was, was, you know, Guatemala. And that's really fascinating because um, – for two, for many reasons, but two I'll highlight. One, unlike a lot of places that had indigenous, uh, um, you know, uh, empires, they lost out to a lot when it came to 
you know, colonialism. Yes. The Mayans, there is a through line of food and culture that this to this day is still not marginalized, not, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to be delicate with my words, but what America has done to the Native Americans here is less prevalent in somewhere like Guatemala, where the Mayan people are still visible part of life and their culture is still very prominent. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, they have managed to, well, I don't think anybody's managed to, it, it is robust enough as a cuisine and as a culture and as a civilization to have endured centuries of empires rising and falling around them. And mm-hmm. you still see very visible representation of what what they ate what they did what they believed in what they worshipped and how they spoke and i think that's fascinating i mean you know chocolate is the most obvious one not they used it as a currency they used it as as, absolutely cocoa bean was was currency and we you know we you know that it was originally wrapped mixed with tobacco shredded tobacco and, and smoked before it it became something that we we uh, eat. Um, but if you, I mean, if you something. jump back to the sort of um, what's the word, culinary anthropology or uh, ethno anthropology of the region, like we've talked about this before, the whole area, as as um, as Alton Brown once said, Mesoamerica encapsulates anything that any um, anthropologist you wants to use to make a point. You know, it, it's like it can like go all the way to North America, all the way down to South America. Yeah. But the heart of it was like Central America. And so Mesoamerica means corn. Uh, Mesa means corn, corn America, uh, because it was uh, maize was so important. But if you think about the food impact here, we've talked about this, you know, in other episodes, like everything came from this, the, what would, what, I find I think there must be a new term for it, the Columbian Exchange, but you've got tomatoes, coffee, um, like you said, uh, cacao or, or uh, chocolate. You've got turkey. You've got avocado. all this main all avocado. All the main kinds of gourds, pumpkin. You know, all that kind of stuff. Potatoes. All comes from this region that you couldn't think of any other culture. Chilies. Any other culture without having this kind of stuff, and so even in the 7000 BC era of Mayan, you know, involvement in in the region, you're seeing foods that were that have 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 transported it back in you sorry, you'd go into Guatemala and say, Oh, wow, there's, they're making turkey soup, that must be a new thing. No, that is ancient. Um, And so yes, we talked about the corn being the center of the world, not a lot of fatty or fat based foods there. So like kamals, you know, which became a bit more of a thing in the later part of the Mayan Empire. Um, don't necessarily use any fat to cook with, like, you know, they may have fat in the actual ingredients. Um, but the whole, it's funny that the proteins that they're most likely to use are muscovary duck, which is the only, you find everywhere in the U.S., is the only duck that, uh, 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 breed that did not originate in Southeast Asia. So it was independently evolving from Every other duck, peking duck, whatever you want to call it, um, in the world, hares was a big protein source, and you still can find down there. And then turkeys. They also used to eat a lot of insects, a lot of iguana, and a lot of duck, a dog. But these, not so much these days. Yeah, and then a lot of fish. Obviously, they've got they've yeah. got two coasts. They've got um, the coast uh, on the well, sort of 
Caribbean, really, I guess. It's more than the Gulf of Mexico and then, of course, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Atlantic coast as well. So a lot of a lot of fish, and they've got these big these big lakes as well. I don't know if a whole lot grows in them because of the, uh, the volcanic, volcanic activity. But they didn't have anything beyond that until the Spanish introduced beef and pork uh, when they came over to do what they did. But it's... yes. It, it, it really is this cradle of unique and esoteric produce and ingredients, I think. And, and also product as well, like mm-hmm. corn tortillas. They were the, 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 the Mayans were the first people that uh, crafted something from ears of corn. Uh, well, they and, moved it from, um, it was, like we've talked about this as well, like the original form of corn was uh, called teacente and it was about an inch long and they bred it to be modern corn uh, and then also simultaneously invented nixmilation which we talked about which yeah. is you know t- uh, uh, soaking it in in, in, in in an alkaline solution often lye or wood ash to make it palatable and digestible to make your masa yeah the, so the 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 quiche people who who were indigenous to the Guatemalan highlands they were Mayans and they mm-hmm. were around uh, sort of around 1000 AD and they were the ones who kind of cracked this and they have a written uh, record of all, of all of these things as well which is is, is pretty mm-hmm. insane to think about but but the avocado and guacamole as well they they were the ones who, who weaponized the the avocado and the Haas yes. avocado which we all know and love is a derivative direct descendant of these early cultivations of guacamole so we have so a lot the, to to thank the Mayans and, and therefore the Guatemalans for. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, besides your one semester of learning about it in school, it is very um, ignored in unless you really dig into it in world history. And for those who haven't seen it, go watch um, Latin History for Morons, which is a one-man show, Tony-nominated uh, one man show by John Leguizamo. Oh, I which watched, we watched it at your house, of course. Yeah, we I watched the first like watched half it, of hour. Course I did. It was great. Um, and he basically, you know, he's a very famous Hollywood actor, and you know, his son was struggling with his uh, Latin identity because it was become a dirty word amongst you know the upper rich white people of of California. Um, and it's all about him going on self exploration of the fact, you know, he joked, which was the timeline you get taught in schools is Mayans, and then nothing until the age of Pitbull which we're in now, um, you know, and like, you know, he talks about some fantastic books that you should read up on. And so the influence of what they were doing in this region, you know, while, you know, Europe, Europeans were still living in caves um, and the influence of the Spanish. And it reminds me of a far side comic strip, which was, you know, obviously making light, but it was the introduction of the horses to, uh, to the Americas. And it's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the Spanish are like, uh, you know, Native Americans, these are horses, horses, Native Americans, shaking hands. And it's like, obviously it wasn't that at all, but that's far side for you. Um, but if you definitely go check it out, it's on Netflix. If you can find it definitely in the U.S. If not, I'm sure it's on some other streaming platform, but it's absolutely wonderful one man show. Yeah, definitely worth doing because you get you get a much more deal, well, as you say, beyond the uh, the semester of. Uh, of basically scraping the surface that you get in, in most of our yeah. education. But you know, one of the things that, that you know, talking about Mesoamericans and, and, and corn, one of the most prodigious foodstuffs to ever come out of Mayan culture, and I would argue perhaps the least 
changed over the longest period of time of any food anywhere is the tamale. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And while you can find tamales all over Latin America, I, I think that, well, first the Mayans you know, arguably invented it. I was trying to find this little snippet. I think it was from a QI episode and I couldn't remember. It might've been from a Bill Bryson thing, which was that during one of the, it was either Mayan or Aztec um, celebrations, the emperor said that it, you could take home as much food as you want as long as it fit in one hand. And uh, tamales were the perfect stackable food for you to be able to do that because they're round and you put them in, in your hand. But to your point, the tamale not only takes advantage of the masa from you know the, the corn we're talking about, you know it allows you to stretch whatever protein you're going to be putting in there, but the cooking of it is is utilizing the... For, so, so in Aztec um, parts of the world, it would have been a corn husk, but in Mayan parts of the world, in Guatemala, it's more likely to be a banana leaf or, or more of a green application. Well, we should um, talk about what a, what a tamale is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, they are, they're, they're amazing is what they are. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to know. A tamale, again, is, is, a, is a classic and archetypal Mesoamerican dish. And it's it's masa, which is this is doughy corn cornmeal cornmeal, yeah. which is then put into as you, as Will said a uh, a banana leaf or a corn husk, and then steamed, and it's then it's usually stuffed with all manner of things, which we'll get onto mm-hmm. in a minute: meats, cheese, chilies, fruit, sometimes you you know vegetables as well, and. Again, they've become such a staple of 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 northern or southern North and Central American cuisine that it's impossible to imagine. imagine yeah, they them were. They're, I mean, getting slightly off topic, but um, the Mississippi Delta. If you want to look into food history, it's absolutely um, fascinating. But the Mississippi Delta um, was became a, a bastion of tamales uh, in in America's development because there were. Um, you know, Latin Americans who had either like migrated north or were already there in some varieties working on um, agriculture who had brought the the technique with them. And then when the the slaves were released, but still working the fields, there were they needed a quick and easy and flavorful way to feed the, the, the field workers. And they were using, you know, tamales as something that the African uh, descendant slaves were, were liking because it was spicy because they like um, Mississippi Delta tamales are often um, soaked in a red sauce while steaming Amazing. versus, you know, down South in, in Latin America, they're more likely to just be steamed in water or broth and then added to. Um, so it, it, it's all over. The Western Hemisphere. Yeah, it is, and I, you know, for for very obvious reasons, which which you just mentioned. I think what's what's what to me is mind blowing about the tamale, other than their kind of nuclear deliciousness, is that they're so old. I mean, they they could be from eight thousand BC, so ten thousand years old, mm-hmm. and they, you know, from not just from the Aztecs and the Mayans, but from the Olmecs and the Toltecs, which which. Were the Olmec. yeah sorry nice Simpsons uh, which were the civilizations civilizations before the the Mayans and the Aztecs and again it's the same thing they're they're handheld they're portable they're good for hunting or traveling long distances they're great for feeding an army on the go and they 
have remained almost intact ever since. Uh, they, of course, you're going to get regional variations. So as you said, in Mexico, predominantly, you know, and Mexico can claim as much credit for these as the Guatemalans can because Mesoamerica includes the indigenous people of southern Mexico as well mm -hmm. as the Guatemalans and, and everybody in between. But in Mexico, generally, they're wrapped in a corn husk and generally in Guatemala, like you say, they're in either a maxon, which is a green or a plant, banana or plantain leaf. And it doesn't go to waste. The, 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 when they're done with it, steaming it, the, the wrappers would go to feed the livestock. Yes. Well, you'd, it could be your plate. It's almost like yep. um, nazi lemak in Malaysia. Yep. You unwrap the, the leaf and you use that as your kind of plate. Same deal. You eat it. And then, as you say, it feeds the livestock. In Guatemala, there are hundreds of different varieties of, of tamale, and they, I think we've we've picked out a few that are, you know, I think pro indicative. Indicative. It's super. It's yeah. Probably the most favorite, you know, the most yeah. consumed. And the thing I found was like just given the more recent history of, of um, Guatemala, you know, the civil wars and everything. And even the older history, which is just geographically, it was super regional because of the uh, geological impediments. Um, it, it is super regional. You'll find specific tamales in different areas. But one of the ones that's you know, very famous was the Colorado, which took me very until very recently to realize that Colorado means colored red because Roja means red, but colored red is Colorado. Um, and so it was, a, a, it, you know, uh, the tamale was red due to tomatoes and achote. How do you say mm, that? Yeah, which is a, a plant uh, with yes, a, but what a I red found pigment. Interesting about the Colorado is that it is a um, throwback to ceremonial tamales that were associated with human sacrifice to represent the blood. Wow. That's pretty metal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we've got lots of, uh, of dark food in, in, in every culture that we come across, but I quite like that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the one I think I probably had the most of outside of the kind of traditional, wonderful Mexican tamale. Um, I also like the – and I would never heard of this, but I, once I read the description and I read about how it was made, I could – imagine what it tasted like and now mm -hmm. i want one and that's a tamales negros which black and it's it's dark and and it's actually sweet sweeter it's still a savory thing but it's sweeter because it's, uh it it's stuffed with uh chocolate raisins prunes almonds so it's a much more sort of savory like sweet type thing yeah it's almost like a precursor to a mole yeah, oh my God. Yes, I would imagine it tastes very similar to a good, a, a, a nice, dark, rich, chocolatey, sweet, but slightly savory mole. Smoky. Yeah. Smoky, yeah, yeah, spot on. Did I ever tell you, um, quite common in a lot of places in, in, in California, um, I, I can't guarantee it's not the same lady, but obviously just due to she's not the Santa of tamales, there's always the tamale lady of your neighborhood. And Legendary. in Berkeley, there was a woman who you would knock on the door and say, hey, you want to buy my tamales? And it was wonderful. And of course I a, do, lady. Yeah. There was a, a bar. There's a uh, – uh, I, I don't mean to come across as sounding like I am 
more badass than I am because I'm not, but there is a bar called Zeitgeist in San Francisco, which was originally a biker bar. Now is, I'm not a biker, turned into a bit of a hipster bar. Um, and the tamale lady used to come by there, you know, on weekends and sell to the, to the, um, to the, a beer garden and she was like the only woman who was allowed to do that no one else is allowed to bring in food and try and sell it there that's when you know your food is tra- is so good that it that it transcends you know any type of rule or boundary like it's <laughs> you know you don't you probably don't have any kind of license we could probably get in trouble if somebody got sick from eating it and you sold it on our premises mm-hmm. but it's so ethereally good yep. I, no one cares knock yourself out exactly but yeah the tamales uh, like this isn't a tea for tamale episode, but it is so important, and it you know it illustrates one the the masa the Mesoamerica, but also the kind of like uh, pre-Columbian exchange foods that they had access to, which are still there. There are now you're getting chicken, beef, pork, you know, in your tamales. But we should jump into some of the other sort of like super regionalized you know dishes that you would find in in this region. Had you heard of any of these? Had you had tried any of these? No, I'd uh, I'd never. I, I mean, I've tried dishes that sound a lot like exactly, yeah, which you're gonna run into across uh, that area of the world. So the one first one I found which was officially non officially their national dish. It has the version of a demarcation by the national by the government, which is pepin de polo, um, which is a chicken stew made with pepitoria, which is a meal, and I mean that like as a ground meal, not a dish uh of roast ground squash seeds to make a thickener and a um almost like a roux in the sense that it gives a silkiness and a thickness to mm. to dishes um and you gotta remember that pumpkin seeds and, and squash seeds are indicative uh, indigenous to that area so it is very common in a lot of dishes in that whole area and it would you, almost you give it with, like a cashewy type yeah, forma yeah type I, this is Jam. very, and it looks almost look at looks like that. If you look at Pepin de Polo, it almost looks like a a, a thick korma. Oh, and while yeah. there is a Mexican version of it, the thing that makes it uniquely so what it is is the stew made with tomatoes, chilies, chicken, cinnamon, uh, water, and this this uh, pumpkin so a curry. seed. Yeah, basically, yeah. But the thing that makes it uniquely Guatemalan compared to Mexico is that it uses sesame and pumpkin seeds that have been um, roasted. Uh, as part of the process outside of that original thickening agent. It gives like, you know, roasted sesame seeds. You think Southeast Asia, but like it's very uniquely Guatemalan as well. It sounds divine. Um, So we talked about the fact there's, you know, influences of Maya, uh, Mayan cuisine till to this day. There's this prefix that is IK, which basically means spicy in in the Mayan language. Spice by this particular chili. Yeah, so there's a dish that is very common called kakki, iki, which is K-A-K apostrophe I-K, and it is a turkey soup. And you think, turkey soup? That sounds very New England. That sounds very like I'm homesick from school. Mm. No, one, it's the uh, os- oscillated, I think, turkey compared to the North American, uh, the, the American turkey. So it's leaner but has a much more strong like a foul flavor like foul as in chicken mm-hmm. and not like a gamey. Gross. yes exactly uh and it originated in the high altitude regions of the of the country where it is colder uh so you want some sort of stick to your rib style um you know uh soup but what's funny is it's a bit like jewish penicillin which you know is matzo ball soup um it uses tamaltios oh, which are this, which is how you make salsa verde 
No, 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 no. So that's Tamotios. Yeah, this that's is where all you different. Put, that's where you put in uh, one of these. Not the green things I'm talking about. Look at this, the difference in the spelling. Tomotios versus Tamotios. The thing I'm talking about is T-A-M, not T-O-M. So we'll get into this in the thing. I had to check this about 15 times. Tamotios, T-A-M-A-L-I-T-O-S, are mini tamales. They're little dumplings that you oh, put into I soup. Oh, I see. Okay, but interestingly, you, you make the broth for this with tomatillos which are like a uh, a tomato derivative yeah. or a precursor and so that was really tripping me up as well i had to keep on looking at this it you know how we talked about this like you know there there are often de de diminutive words for an existing thing in spanish language which you know we've talked about this um with uh, chicharito means little pea and stuff like that um this is the equivalent of like I there's see. the tamale and then little tamale um and so it'd be almost like your your matzo ball dumplings in your soup is they use cornmeal obviously mm. uh, which i found super super interesting but like apparently it's like one of those things that when you come home to guatemala if you've been living abroad in the winter time it's the thing that you want um and it has like a whole turkey leg sticking out of it is very sort of like if you know um what you expect it to look like to be authentic um, so definitely going to have to see if there's Guatemalan restaurants, at least Mayan restaurants uh, around here that I could find find this. Because that sounds great. I'm not a big, like, watery soup kind of person. I don't like chicken noodle soup or anything like that. I want my, my soup to have some uh, some some body to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, looking at various recipes, uh, it's like a, the, the broth is kind of sweet and sour. It sounds amazing. Exactly. Um, and then the another one that I obviously shows the post – colonial influences of the Spanish, which is halachas, H-I-L-A-C-H-A-S, which means shredded beef. The actual translation comes from the word threads. Uh, oh. and so it's a it's a, a braised piece of flank that has been like pulled into shreds. Um, and it's uh, it's a, it's again a lot of a lot of slow cooking in this region, a lot of stews, um, and that's made with um, almost always with sliced potatoes, being you know of that region. But most of the famous ones will include tomatillos, fresh green beans, cloves, cinnamons, carrots, and chahote. Which if you ever looked up chahote, it's a kind of um, gourd slash squash. Yeah, it is a mutant looking thing, it but is. apparently it's very good. It's very similar to ropa vieja. What's that? Which is a, uh, it's the national dish of Cuba, which is this, it's, a, oh, okay. you know, it's just sort of shredded or pulled beef and vegetables. And in, in Guatemala, much like in, in, in Cuba, it's served with rice and beans, black beans. Uh, I mean, you can't go wrong with that, really, can you? Yeah. Anything that's. Yeah, absolutely. Like if it's anything like ropa vieja, which is just divine, uh, it, it, you can't go wrong. And looking at, again, like I was looking at some of the recipes for how to make this at home or, or how it's traditionally prepared. It's, it's just, you know, so good. You, you have it with, with, like I said, rice, black beans, often with tortillas as well. Yeah. This is one of those Sold. things that like not difficult as far as technique, not difficult in the, in the amount of ingredients, but almost impossible for anyone out of the Western Hemisphere to make, because to you, your chagrin, you found out tomatillos are hard to get in Europe. You have a special guy. I have a special guy who smuggles them in from Amsterdam, and no, it's not weed, but it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> tomatillos, like, which are even better. 
Exactly. Like this, like some of the some of the basic ingredients, but I could find at any Mexican supermarkets, which are a godsend for me, uh, just to find specific ingredients that are or specific cuts of meat that are uh, you know prepared a certain way. There are a dime a dozen anywhere west of the Rockies, mm-hmm. and I'm in the Rockies now, even in the Rockies. So that will extend all the way from you know Canada down to to South America. But if you try and find this stuff. You got to know a, a spe- specific purveyor, yeah. Um, you know, to, to be able to do it. Unfortunately, um, this this last one that you put on here, I think, is a perfect example of like new age, you know, Latin culture. Um, yeah, I didn't. I'd never seen this. Where did you find this last one? Uh, I was digging around in some like uh, Guatemalan street food guides because, of course, that's where I'm going to go. And you know, and. So they're called chucos, and they are they came from Guatemala City, which is the inspired name for the. Why is it? What's with Central America and like Panama City? Panama City, Guatemala, Guatemala City. City, Mexico City. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but all wonderful places. Just they need a little work on their branding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they it, it means um, dirties. Uh, it, or, okay. uh, you know, the, the translation is dirties in there. They're Guatemalan hot dogs. It's a typical street food. And the twist is, yeah, you get the you get the sausage, which can be uh, everything from uh, salchicha, salchicha or chorizo or, or anything like that. Uh, white sausage sometimes as well in a bun. But then it's got like guac, cabbage. Mm-hmm mayo like it's it's a it's like their new york dirty water hot dog and they are <laughs> just so good they can so the cabbage is like sauerkraut it's it's, it's pickled i mean I, this is top drawer i this is probably the one i'm most excited about <laughs> uh and it like i said it's created in guatemala city i think it's reasonably new it's got to be a 20th century invention oh yeah yeah, I would say this is probably like '80s onwards. I'm maybe a little bit older than that. I don't know, but it's. Uh... Did Guatemala have a big German influence? Because Mexico has a huge German influence. Like if you look at any of like famous Mexican beers, generally there is probably a German brewmaster along there at some point, like Dos Equis, um, and there's the other one I always forget the name of, which is famous for being German Mexican food or a uh, beer. But yeah, I mean that's interesting with the sort of sauerkraut. Yeah, I I'm I don't know uh, where the inspiration came from, but they are just they look outstanding and and something that I'm very very excited about. I'm I'm sure it's a great way to get um, all manner of foodborne illnesses because you know. <laughs> but hey, if you can eat a New York dirty dirty water hot dog, you can eat a shukos in the off the streets of, of of Guatemala City. So yeah, I, I'm excited about that, and I think. Uh, I don't know what you found in your research about the national drink. This was a tough one. Well, um, I guess there isn't an official one, but the unofficial one I'm totally okay with is Gallo beer. Yeah, Gallo beer, which means chicken beer, um, or has a picture of a chicken on it. I, yeah, I was looking at this in the, Spanish. Cock- cockerel in Spanish. Yeah. yeah, I was looking at this as well, and like the, one of the the resources I was looking at was pretty disparaging about this beer. One that it was like you know there's nothing to it. It's about four and a half percent lager, you know, decent enough. But like then they went on to say something like, oh, but the other beer that's super like popular is um, 
the, the the really famous Brazilian beer, which is like for some reason super popular up there. I'm like, why, why, well, like you know, there's got to be more to it than that. I, I like the idea of it being a lager. I was reading that like this whole region has like um, its own homebrew lighter fluid liquor oh, made from sure. um, corn, like distilled corn. Uh, yeah, and so gala, like, apparently if you ask anybody in Mexico, in Mexico, in Guatemala, what the national drink is, they'll say it's gala, which again, it's just, it's just a, it's just a beer. It's It'd a be beer. like saying Bud here. Yeah, I yeah, like, I, I think so. If you went so. to an American and said, what is the national drink, they would say Budweiser. Yeah, I think <laughs> so too. So it's, it's the same thing, but it's, it's been, uh, it's, it's gotten a lot of rewards. I mean, rewards for being like a decent beer. I want to find it now and try and, and, and have a go. Mm-hmm. A slightly off the uh, off the kind of alcohol tip. Did you come across this corn drink, Atol no. de Alote, which is a warm corn-based milk drink? It sounds a little bit like horchata, but alote means corn, corn, corn. And I swear I've seen this before somewhere. Corn. Uh, yeah, it, it's um. I think elote is corn on the cob. Mitch altogether. Mitch altogether. <laughs> that is a deep cut for anybody that knows a now dead comedian from the 1990s. So yeah, this was in this is a really interesting one because on the face of it it sounds disgusting. But it's not. It's this you have to drink it warm because it coagulates when it's cold. Stay with me. Yummy. Um, but it's milk and and this this basically corn, you know, m- m- macerated corn, um, and cinnamon and a few other bits and pieces. And again, I think it's I think it's it's probably very similar in taste and texture to horchata. Although you drink horchata ice cold. Um, and it's delicious. Um, and I'll think, so is, the, it, is horchata rice? This, I, I, I don't drink it. I, I see it at my Mexican places a lot. This just reminded me of a dish that I'm, uh, a thing that I, I'm always horrified when I see it on travel shows called uh, chicha, C-H-I-C-H-A, mm. which is a, a fermented alcoholic Latin American beverage that is. Um, That's corn too. Uh, other ways of making chicha include having uh, having people chew on the corn mm-hmm. and, then and then spit, spit it, it into the fucking sorry, language spit it into the uh, the container and have it ferment that way. I'm like, nope, yeah. nope, 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 nope. Th- that's exactly what happened. And they they would they would chew it and they would get this this mush and that's an Incan uh, tr- tradition. Right. So this is more so- northern southern South America as opposed to the area. It's, it's broadly Latin American. It just set off a science, synapse in my head. And you know what's, about what's even stranger about that is that only the most beautiful women in the village were allowed to do it. The uh, episode of either uh, – it was either an old Bourdain or a um, Andrew Zimmer um, Bizarre Foods. It was a bunch of middle-aged truckers in a – you know, lay by. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm okay with not having that one. <laughs> yeah, I have not had any of these. I I don't know what it is, but sort of the gelatinous um, 
cool down period. I don't like um, anything that's sort of overly gloopy. What's the um, natte? Not my thing. Um, natto, the Japanese stuff. Natto, yeah. The fermented soybeans. Yeah, I like it. What's the the other the, the stuff that people tried to force us to have as kids in breakfast? Oh, rice part like um, or kanji. Can't do that. Nope, texture thing. I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to texture, as people who remember the LA episode of Attaché or hearing about it would would know. Uh, it's funny. It's like if you don't tell me what it is, I would absolutely. And I eat weird things, but for some reason, when someone builds something up, anything that has the texture of like snot, a snot, a snotty knuckle, yeah, is just not going <laughs> to work for me. Yeah, that or um, if you told me like, oh, this tastes like a. Um, a bloody mattress probably would have eaten it. You said that eventually. I did say it. Like, it was like a yeah. bloody mattress. Yeah, that's fine. We are way off topic. Anyway, <laughs> delicious. No, it's, no, it's 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 important. That but that food. that seems to be the thread that appears the most regarding um, the national drink or the most popular. But obviously, drink. coffee. Look, let's not be let's not dick around here. Like hot chocolate and coffee. And when I mean hot chocolate, I mean like spiced, aerated. Mayan Aztec style hot, mm-hmm. hot which chocolate, is, but not yeah, Nestle. which is not milk based. They're also they also produce a lot of very very good rum in Guatemala. I I read that yeah I was surprised about that. Is there a big sugarcane? You know, I guess I, there I guess there must be. I think if you look in, at their neighbors, there's a lot of uh, of decent rum going on there, and mm-hmm. uh, you know they're 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 talking about like you know Honduran rum is is obviously outstanding mm-hmm. um you know and they're talking about stuff that's aged for for 30 years so that wow. is going to be some some good stuff tequila is uh, a big deal anything of that nature um the agave stuff is is really good so yeah i'm do it. I the am, only hard alcohol i can't do tequila yeah i think that's mm-hmm. a lot of people have that problem um I, yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm excited to to get over there and exercise some demons, and also just <laughs> eat all of the things. And Alex I mean, is going to go full Liam Neeson, and you know, find track them. down the track the track down the people I will, that take him style. I will pistol whip the person that pistol whipped me. They're probably in their late seventies. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Hey, I was I was a freaking kid. If he can pistol whip me and I'm a kid, I can beat his ass when he's an old man. <laughs> oh, well, this is going to be a fun episode. So, the one thing I uh, is again, I want to reinforce about Guatemala is from what I remember, it's one of the places that I went to as a kid that I remember most vividly, not for the obvious reasons, but because it was so staggeringly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh and like I just met I mentioned at the top of the show Chichi Costanengo. I didn't I just been looking at it. It's microscopic and I'm very I'm very uh grateful for the opportunity to have gone to what apparently is just like a little village three and a half hours up into the mountains above guatemala city so i'm mm-hmm. i do want to go back greg if you're listening guess what buddy this is this is the interesting <laughs> thing is like having significantly older brothers Megan, sorry I called, guatemala. You, I called you guys old but to what alex said at the top of the episode our family had, our parents had a habit of like learn by doing let's take you out of school to like experience weird cultures that you're foreign to you um so that you learn that everybody is equal blah 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 blah, all this kind of stuff 
very, very, very privileged to have that experience. The unfortunate thing is that they did it when Alex and Andrew are, you know, my brothers were more formative years and I was sort of like, where's the Fanta? Where's the Chicky Nuggies? Um, you know, so like it, I have been to a lot of countries, but I knocked out 30 countries before I was like 12. So, you know, it, it's I have fond memories of a lot of these places, but I would very much like to go back as a somewhat well-rounded adult um you know sri lanka apparently that's where i saw my first dead body don't remember that like you know things that like mom and dad did not pull any punches they let us see the real sort of grit of the world um you know from our very privileged you know expat community lifestyle yeah i yeah and i think we were very lucky i've tried to do that a little bit with my kids as well like you know don't don't go isn't it weird doesn't that weird doesn't that smell weird doesn't that look weird Aren't they weird? Don't they look funny? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's like just you know, you do it, and you know, again, you know, it's it's a it's a nice it's a nice thing to be able to do, and I think I do it because you know, if if we had to deal with it, my kids have to deal with it too. Yeah, I I think that with everything that's gone over the last last yeah the last eighteen months, both from like a a world lockdown, but also don't fear your neighbor kind of shit. I was at the supermarket yesterday and I had like, oh, two days ago and I had like a full-blown att- panic attack because I couldn't like figure out like what people were going to do at a supermarket I'd never been to. I'm like, shit, I need to get this under control if I'm going to go out and then see the world again. Like no- nothing is predictable. And you can't live your life like not knowing what's going to go on. Be safe, get vaccinated, be a good human being, but then go out there and explore once everything's safe what you weren't able to do for 18 months. Absolutely. Yeah, the world's too small or too big to just sit on your butt. Exactly. So yeah, um, before we sign off, and unfortunately, this is a very boring cheers and people from Guatemala tell me if there's one that I'm missing, but this would be only I feel like it's probably one of our biggest audiences, Guatemala. Are you being sarcastic? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't. Um, but obviously, H being the next one, I don't think we have to like, argue here. I think we both know where we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you all know where we're going as well. Um, our home away from home. Heartfish. So if you hard for sure if you uh the next couple episodes we either know what we're doing or there's a limited amount but let us know for further down the line we've already got people pitching for s for you know j for p you know whatever it may be let us know because i come with some of these we may not know and we'll need your input but with that being said guatemala fun times yeah yeah so you want to round this out yeah I think uh, the only thing left is for Will to do his thing, and until next time, salute. Thanks.